You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Welcome, everybody. This is uh, Hack and Go Rich. My name is Bart Baggett. My co-host and super genius is right with me, and we've got a great guest today, um, Shaheen Shayan. I always say Shayan, but it's Shaheen Shayan. So I'm going to pronounce yeah. it correctly. This is this is the benefit of dating a Persian girl. I'm now beginning to actually know how to pronounce words from your historical land of, of, of beautiful riches. The many benefits, the many benefits. Yeah, welcome, guys, to Hack and Grow Rich, uh, where we give you insightful tips on how to get wealthy uh, by barely trying. Or maybe you got to try a little bit, but we, we're, we're going to get you there. Um, we are about to go live now on Facebook, so we will be live momentarily. Okay, and we are live streaming now to all the folks on Facebook, so we will be going live. And here we are. We are now live on Facebook. Yeah, so it's been a while since we've done live. And if you're an entrepreneur or you desire to be one, this is a pretty good podcast for you to learn from. Uh, the guy sitting across from me on the video has literally made a billion dollars B before he was 21 years old. And they're making a feature film about him. So maybe I'm not a total badass, but he is. And so if you're looking for hacks, shortcuts, business, today our guest is going to talk about how double and triple your revenue by working a couple hours a week. Really interesting podcast. Hit the like, hit the share right now on Facebook. And Shaheen, you introduced me to a really weird person I've never seen today on the internet chat briefly about this oddball and then we'll get to our really kick-ass guest who's a, who's a legit well i'm gonna i'm gonna share a little video about it and thank you for those kind words bart i like to think that i i practice humility in my life and coming from an eastern culture you and i often talk about the importance of of humility so our our not our guest but the man we're going to be talking about now is the man who uh, apparently is taking over the internet and everyone's talking about him. So I guess it brings us to um, what we're going to talk about him. But we're, what we're going to talk about is something I think that's going to be very interesting to our viewers. And that is how he has hacked and grown rich. So regardless of what you think of this person, I want you to suspend judgment on him and focus for a moment on his business model. So let's take a peek at some of the things this young man is saying now uh, on the TikToks. So I am sharing my screen. Bart, can you see my screen right I now? I can't see the screen. In don't message me about depression because I don't believe in it. If you're asleep in your bed in the middle of the night and you hear a noise and you believe in ghosts, now you're afraid. But if you don't believe in ghosts, ah, it's the wind and you go back to sleep. You give the ghosts power by believing in them. Your house is only haunted if you believe in ghosts. Belief is a powerful thing. I were to stand in front of you, and I were to tell you that I could punch you as hard as I can in your sternum, and I could fracture it and send us. Let's go for another one. Breathe air. You don't need a vape. Have you ever seen anyone with a vape? Have you ever, have you ever sat in a room? So we go, wait, oh, let me just go. My vape's done charging. Yeah, that one I think we can all agree with. <laughs> I 
decided, I didn't even decide, I realized yesterday, that I can actually, genuinely, right now, nothing is stopping me from becoming Batman. Nothing. I have a Batcave. Okay, yep. I have an Alfred. Okay. I have a Batmobile, a Bugatti. Yep. I can fight. Yep. Rich as fuck. You can afford body armor and all the crap that All Batman the crap, needs. can yep. buy it all. I'm charismatic. There is nothing stopping me putting on a suit. I wouldn't say charismatic. I would stop at that charismatic one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I believe he's charismatic. That, that's enough, Shane. To tell us. Actually, genuinely understand how lonely the majority of men are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think we get. So he's a jerk. Is that what we're getting? He's a jerk. I think he's what all teenage boys and men in their maybe early 20s imagine an alpha male to be like like you and i talk a lot about like life and i think like all right man you know i've i've made hundreds of millions in my life i've had a company that's created over a billion dollars in revenue i've done all that stuff but what's my like bling right now am i driving around a bugatti and doing that kind of stuff no could i yeah am i doing it no what am i doing what's bling like for me it was a day at the beach with my family that's that's my bling or going on a great trip or sitting to a great meal you know, with my with my wife and my kid, or my good friends, when me well, and you your, get your together. values change as you get older. But I think uh, even the Ty Lopez, uh, who I really like, he also kind of targeted his ads to that first entrepreneur, twenty somethings, where the car mattered, the restaurants mattered, the shoes mattered. There's a time in people's life when status, especially when they don't have it, is really important. Once you kind of have it, it doesn't become as important. I lived in Malibu for a long time because I was at Pepperdine, and every movie star I ever met was wearing sweats and a sweater. Like nobody wants to be noticed when they had gotten yeah. there. So this guy has obviously struck a chord because he's super famous. But you said that guy is actually making money hand over fist in a very odd way. Let's talk about that. Right. So interesting. Andrew Tate apparently uh, was a son of a chess master. That's what I understand. And he was a kickboxer and and apparently has won uh, several fights from what I understand. I haven't looked at his professional record. He wasn't a UFC fighter. He was a kickboxer, which is a different art altogether. And he's come across uh, a incredible system that has basically broken the internet. You cannot go on the internet without seeing this man, without hearing somebody talk about this man, Andrew Tate and his brother, Tristan Tate. And there's all kinds of controversy. So what has he done in his business model, which several YouTubers now have disclosed and are showing? So he's got a course. It's $99. But wait, if you order now, you can get it for $49. Well, $49 is nothing. It's $49 a month. It's a very low barrier to entry. Okay. So why is it? Yep. One-time charger per month. It's per month. So $47 so continuity program. Or it's $49 per month for his, uh, what he calls his Hustlers University 2.0. Okay. Uh, I don't know what happened to 1.0, but I, we're, I, we're on 2.0 now. And in there, he, he shares like little hacks on how you can do drop shipping and start an Amazon business and do this, that, and the other and make money. But the best part of it is you can become an affiliate of his programs and make money by being an affiliate of his program. This is where my mind was blown. So this man has created an army of young men who aspire to be like him, and presumably it's 100% men, young men or boys who aspire to drive a Bugatti, who aspire to live that kind of lifestyle. And the path that he's given them to do that entails promoting his material. 
he doesn't uh, allegedly have a YouTube channel or uh, oh. uh, 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 um, you know any of those other types of social media. I think he has an Instagram, but but only one, and and he's you know fairly inactive on there. But on the other channels, there's millions of hits of people watching his videos. Why? Because he's recruited all these affiliates and the affiliates are promoting this. And he alleges that he has hundreds of thousands, something like 300,000 people doing this. And it has literally broken the internet. And in a very short period of time, I measured about six months, has made him the most famous man in the universe at the moment. So and and he does it by creating these memeable quotes, like the stuff that you guys saw him saying, that are very shareable, like like it or hate it. People are sharing it and talking about him. So if it's his system or somebody else's system, I don't know who created this system, but it's one of the most brilliant manipulations of the internet I've seen today. Well, it's combining a couple of kind of tried and true internet marketing. Affiliate marketing's been around forever. You know, porn invented a lot of the stuff we see now. Affiliate marketing was a big deal, and it's combining social media. I've never seen that. Now, I've seen religions where they'll they'll convince their flock to go get more people into the Jehovah's Witness. That's a pretty common model. But he's combined all three of these with an affiliate model that obviously is using other people's social media. I I don't think I've seen. See, I think, so, for example, Mary Kay and a lot of the multi-level marketings, they're strictly banned from promoting their stuff, and Facebook won't let them promote their stuff for a lot of reasons. But this isn't a network marketing thing, right? It's an affiliate program, and it's just, it's just great content because it's pissing people off. I think it was a video that, that we didn't show where he's talking about if a girl has an OnlyFans account, the man should get a percentage because he owns he owns her body. Well, that's an offensive thing to say, <laughs> and it's so great because everyone's going to share that and, and get mad at him. So it's not the way I want to market myself. I don't really want everybody hating me. A little hate's fine here and there, um, but I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and it goes to the whole point of controversy. Look, uh, for those of you guys who are just tuning in and and you might not know me that well, I've got a book called Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult, where I talk about how in the early 90s, I created over a billion dollars in revenue selling this pill, this magic pill that I had invented, and it was during the rave scene. But I'll tell you, I did not get critical mass part until the government came after me. Once the government came after me and I was controversial, controversial enough to be put on TV where the FDA and the FBI, every single three-letter agency was coming after me, and the news media picked it up and said, hey, look at this long-haired kid giving the kids of America legal drugs. When that controversy came out, that was the beginning. We were making millions, but when that happened, that's when we made over a billion dollars in revenue. So I guess one of the big takeaways that I could tell anybody who's interested in making a big impact is do not fear controversy. And controversy is a tool like anything, and it could be used to your advantage. And we see that through presidential uh, candidates, fairly <laughs> right. presidential elects, and, and all types of, of situations. But it should just be another tool in your toolbox. And look, my mentors and my teachers always taught me, look, we don't want to punch people if we don't have to, right? In self-defense, we we can defend ourselves, right? And all is fair if you're defending yourself or your family or your friends. But outside of that, if you don't have to, and, and you and I have talked about this before, in our as we age, we realize that we don't want to create enemies where it's not necessary, right? We don't want to do that at any expense. 
But let me let me change the subject a little bit and ask you a question, Bart. Do you think that part of the success of this guy is the fact that he has a system? And if we could talk to somebody about that, uh, about systems, tell, tell me what you think about that. There's a very smooth transition there, very smooth. Um, but before we get off that, I want to say like Dave Chappelle, you know, he is a great comedian and he got the number one position on Netflix because of the controversy. If they hadn't abandoned, if they hadn't marched, if, if the trans people didn't have such a voice, people wouldn't even have been on the radar. I'm not saying it was great. It was a great show regardless, right? But that was something that he has faced right into, including Netflix. And so it's a great strategy if you're willing to suffer the consequences. But back to your question is, I think what, what I like and what we, we've done here a lot is analyze business models, pull open the hood and figure out what is the system behind that which is making this move. And, and particularly when things explode. I mean, you were on the beach selling pills and you had a bunch of distributors and you had people stealing money and you're just a 19 year old kid. Like, I wish we had this guest 20 years ago to teach you how to run a business because you yeah. didn't know how to run a business, all right? So we're gonna bring on a, a buddy of mine who I've known for about 10 years. And as I was reading his bio, I, I learned something new about him, which I'm gonna ask him about. And it reminds me of a friend that got on The Tonight Show and sold the Brooklyn Bridge one brick at a time. I think his name was Jeff Paul. Do you remember this guy? I can't remember his name. He used to be in the internet marketing circle. And so our next guest literally bought the remnants of a cricket stadium in Australia and sold the seats one by one. And that was like his first big breakthrough. And then he was on TV. And you'll like that because all three of us were on TV in our early 20s. Um, but he's, he's got a book called um, Systemology. I'm going to hold it up here, Systemology. And it's not only his first book, it's his second book. And he runs a bunch of services. So I want to introduce to you, turn on your thing, to our good-looking Australian friend from down under, David Jennings. How you doing, buddy? Fantastic. Thank you for the kind words and introduction. Uh, and it was Paul Hartunian. And ah. you're right. That's where I got my inspiration. It was he sold the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, I pretty much copied his system. And I ended up selling the MCG, which is a really well known sporting stadium here in Australia. Oh my God, I can't believe you remember his name. So I was on the internet marketing stages back in 92. And I think that's where you first probably heard my name in a marketing internet marketing circles. And I, and I remember him and I don't know if he's still alive, but he always told that story. And when I saw that in your press clipping, I said, like, I wonder if he knows that dude. And sure enough, you do. But you did more than that. So I love that story because you sold the bridge. But here's a funny way that we met. And I don't know if you remember this. I reached out to you via email because you owned a domain called bartbaggett.net. They remember this, right? And I I kept seeing someone owned my name and I'm like, who is this jerk? Can't believe someone owns my name. And there was like some typo or something about it wasn't right. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to call this guy. And you were so nice. And you're like, Hey man, if you want it back, cool. Here's the thing. It's free. I'm like free. You're not going to hold it for ransom. You're like, no, dude, you're cool, man, whatever. I just bought it as a fan site. And I was like, that dude's a friend for life. And then I was going through some emails, and I think I helped you get 100 reviews on your first book with, with my Amazon strategy, right? 100%. That was the launch of authority content. And, yeah, uh, and it's, yeah. He runs an Amazon company. He doesn't specialize in books, but he's one of the biggest consultants to train people to run. And you've got millions of dollars in revenue every month with the ones you own and your clients, right, Shaheen? So you're no Amazon rookie at all. No, yeah. I mean, I, unfortunately, most people 
who are authors, unless they have a back end, cannot really afford to hire an agency to manage their Amazon. We do some authors, but it's usually people who have back ends, you know, where they're making money on the back end. Because books are an incredibly hard, I mean, as you guys both know, an incredibly hard way to make money, but they're a great calling card to have. Yeah, so long story short, David and I haven't spoken lately, but I was like so pleased that I was able to help you with that Amazon strategy. And um, this book is pretty cool. I just recently went through a similar situation where I lost my best salesperson with like no notice. And then instead of getting upset, I went through with my business coaches. We broke apart everything she was doing and we put it all in paper and systems and then we outsourced it to like four people. And so that'll never happen again where I've got to turn off the ads because one person messed up my company. And you'd think at my age, I would have learned this, David. And I still had systems. I've got procedures. I've got all of it. But that's what I want to talk to you about. Like, how do you build a business and then take, 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 put your feet up two hours a week instead of working 100 hours a week like most people do? Mm. One of the biggest secrets is understanding that your business isn't broken. A lot of people go out and they're searching for the next holy grail or the magical thing that's going to transform their business. And oftentimes some of the biggest wins come from just capturing what is currently working and making it repeatable. A lot of businesses, they just struggle with repeatability, especially small businesses, and they're very key person dependent. So if you figure out who on your team is currently doing something the best, maybe handling an incoming lead or making the sale or delivering the product or service and just codify what it is that they're doing, make that your baseline, bring everybody up to that standard, you'll actually get tremendous wins in the business. Wow, that's pretty insightful. Shaheen, you 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 manage hundreds of people. How important is systems in your business? Yeah, I think to Dave's point, it's really the difference between a rookie and a professional. So when I first started and I write about this in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Flippo Cult, um, which is actually one of the reasons I asked Bart to uh, to make contact with you and bring you on. And we're so honored to have you on because I have given your book to everybody in my team and my CEO has it and everybody uses it. It's kind of like one of the Bibles that we have uh, along with uh, getting things done and the 80-20 principle is that it, it's really what separates an amateur from a pro. When I When I first started, my whole business was fly by the seat of my pants. And we were making millions of dollars because I had what I call suicide margins. We were making so much money and our margins were so insane. And we were producing these pills for 25 cents and reselling them for $20, all cash, all the time, all day long, that we had the ability to make a large amount of mistakes. But the fact is nothing was systemized. So as We've grown, and you know, I, I also read uh, Upstream. I don't know if you've read that. I, I believe that's uh, Chip and Dan Heath, uh, where they talk about solving problems upstream, which really goes to to your point as well in systemology, is that uh, the build out of systems isn't necessary in your business. It is your freaking business. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it's funny because the business owner oftentimes is not wired to see that straight out of the box. Like you said, it's kind of like a, a rookie thing where you 
see a problem in the world and you think, right, I'm going to start a business to solve that problem. And you go out and you get to work and you move quickly and you break things and you jump onto the next thing. And wherever the fire is, you attend to that because, you know, business owners can just solve any problem that gets thrown at them. And oftentimes uh, they're not the best with the follow through and thinking about systems and processes. And it's not something that gets a lot of business owners excited until they realize that it is business. It is the game. Like you, you want to fall in love, not with the documentation of systems and processes. I don't like writing systems and processes, but I fell in love with the result of what the systems bring. And as a business owner, you can't build a strong, reliable, recurring, thriving, repeatable business without systems. Like that's the game. So don't fall in love with documenting, fall in love with what they can do, and then build the team around you to help turn you into this, like, it's it's the way to replicate yourself. Find out what you're doing well, codify it, replicate it, pass it down to lower cost, lower skilled team members to then take off uh, chunks of responsibility to free you up to then solve higher quality, bigger problems. And, and that's what a business owner should be looking at doing rather than saving solving the same problem again and again and again most people are repeating themselves and following up with team members did you do this or that or uh, and what this is all about is how do we pass it down so you can keep working your way up i love that so let me ask you this are you familiar with the work of, of david allen and gtd yeah love his stuff it's definitely one of the the early influences yeah, I, I can see. That. I can I can clearly see that. So tell me, how does systemology, what you teach in your your book and courses and all your materials, how do you see that as being different from GTD? Where are the areas that you see a difference? Yeah, look, uh, the the key lessons I got from GTD was stuff like um, how to prioritize what to work on, how to batch it together so when you're in certain locations you do certain things. Um, a big part of, and I suppose if we think about GTD and even some of the other uh, process improvement methodologies that have come before systemology, um, a lot of them, it's in the name, it's process improvement, whereas systemology is a little bit different. It's process capture. It's if you don't yet have a system and a process and way of doing things, let's capture version one. We're not talking about optimization or improvement. Let's First, figure out what best practice is. How do we capture that? How do we make that easy? How do we get everybody up to that standard and have that become the baseline? So maybe uh, it's probably been a good number of years since I read GTD. But like I said, the, those first few principles are probably what uh, stick in my head. Um, a lot of it was around prioritization. And I mean, he had this other thing where sometimes elimination was also uh, the, the best way to get something done, just decide, well, it doesn't even need to be done in the first place. And he had a handful of rules like that. And when I think about systems, similarly, we, we apply that 80-20, which is what are the 20% of the systems that deliver the bulk of the result in the business? Let's just go to work on those first uh, and get those really good because a lot of the other stuff will either just get handled or it will just get eliminated. 
And you just need to get really good at uh, focusing on the mission critical systems first uh, and get those down. So is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, totally. So, so give us some, give us some meaty tips for our, yeah. our folks who a lot of our viewers and audience are people that are just starting their business. A lot of them are entrepreneurs that have e-com business, Amazon businesses, uh, a few who have brick and mortar businesses. So somebody who's not familiar with systemology and, and mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend to everybody to get your book because it's one of the most awesome books that I've read in a long time on, on this topic. But um, before they do that, can you give yeah. them a little primer of like, if you you're in an elevator with somebody and you got to explain how they can improve their business through your systems, um, what, what would you recommend? Bart, I'm seeing double of it. I was going to say, the first thing you need to do is figure out how Bart's duplicated himself and start, <laughs> you'll get so much more done if there are two of you. Um, the, the, the way to think about it, like systemology um, answers the very first question, which is, where do I start? What are the 10 to 15 systems that I should create first? Uh, and I would suggest getting an A4 bit of paper. You don't even need to grab the book. I can give you this exercise in about a minute. Uh, and A4 bit of paper, top left-hand corner, write down um, your primary target audience. Like who is the dream client? They pay your advertised prices. They refer friends and family. They're a pleasure to deal with. You'd like a truckload more of them. Get really clear on who that is. Next step, you think, what is the primary product or service that you sell to that target audience? Like where, what is the first product that they purchase from you that will be a great gateway into the rest of your world and the products and services that you offer? And then literally map out the linear journey that that prospect and as they turn into a client goes through to deliver that core product or service. Don't Put too much detail, each step, not more than a few words in a box, only capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to be doing and think, how would I grab their attention or how am I grabbing the attention of that target audience? How am I handling the incoming lead? How are we selling them? What's the sales process look like? When they're ready to go, how do we invoice them? Then once they say, yep, we've paid, how do we onboard them? How do we deliver the core product or service and how do we get them to come back. Now, if you did that on an A4 bit of paper, you don't put more than two or three words in each of these boxes. You're able to visually represent, this is how the business makes money. And you just focus on going to work there. And you can even go a step beyond that and say, in that critical client flow, that's what we call it, where is the pain? There's probably parts in your business where you intuitively know that if you've got a truckload more leads or um, maybe you're consciously or subconsciously avoiding something. I see this quite often where sometimes the business owner might be a great salesperson, yet they're pulling back on their sales because in the back of their head, they know if I sell this person, it's actually going to equal pain because then I have to deliver the work and I'm already mega, mega busy and I don't have enough space. So they then start to push clients away. But if you can uncover where that pain is and go to work on that, you might actually make your best salesperson 10 times more effective because they can sell with confidence and knowing that they can deliver on the promises that they make. Um, but that's, that's a great starting point. That'll help you uncover at least sort of the 10 to 15 systems that you could start with. I love that. I love that. All right. Uh, so 
one thing that I heard you say in one of your talks, which I really like, I think this, this may be one of my favorite quotes of yours. There's, there's a lot, but you mentioned that complexity is the enemy of systems. What do you, what do you mean by that? Mm. If you can't do the simple, you'll never be able to do the complex. So, and that classic line of uh, like simple scales, complex fails is another one that I like. They all center around this idea that you want to make your business as simple as possible, because as you start to bring new team members in and train them up and you start to grow and, you know, you start to get different parts of your business come under stress uh, but the simpler it is, the easier it is to solve problems. And I mean, I'm not a car guy, but this metaphor just popped into my head. Like I think, you know, the old school muscle cars, you know, people could go to work on those because the machines were easy to work on. But these days you have a look at some of the new cars with all of the technology and things like that, and, and you've got no chance. Um, and the way that you can go to work on the machine is because of the simplicity and you, you want to bring that to your business. Making something more complex isn't going to make it easier for you or anybody else on your team to make this thing work. So uh, always, wherever you can, stripping that complexity is essential. I like that. I like that a lot. So how, how much of building systems, or for you, I, I, I take it you got presumably a lot of people who work for you. I know you've got uh, uh, a great uh, VA that helps you with your keeping your calendar and keeping that stuff together. How much of uh, your work uh, is time management and how much is energy management? And what do you see as the difference between time management and energy management? Mm. The Your most valuable team members, yourself included, uh, oftentimes very, very busy. And they can be working on a range of different things. And I always want to be working on the highest value tasks that I can. So the way I work with my VA and team is to think about things that need to get done. There's a range of different tasks in business that just need to get done and once the original thought has been done, there's no additional magic that I'm bringing into the equation. So if we can systemize it and pull part of that sort of responsibility off that off me and then have a team member kind of take it over from me, that then frees uh, me up. So a big part of you know what I try and work with Febby and the rest of the team on is thinking about, again, those essential recurring delegatable tasks. How do we codify them and pass them down? Because I want my time when I am working on the business to be working on only things that are unique uh, thought, only things that are big problems that can be solved. Because I have a limited amount of time in the day. My energy is best in the morning. And if I can create enough space to be able to work on those sorts of things, that tends to be where I have uh, the biggest leverage and impact. So definitely like a combination. I used to, when I was younger, and, and I know we talked, you touched on this at the start of the, the episode and, and how you change and evolve as you get older. Um, I used to just be relentless and, you know, I, I would just outwork anyone and I'd do the seven days a week and working from dusk till dawn and you just, cr you know, crunching it out. 
Um, whereas now I'm a lot more particular, like I'm 40 now, got two kids, a wife, want to have a little bit of that uh, balance, um, realize that there is limited time in the day and there are other priorities in my life as well that I want to make sure that I manage and give good attention. Uh, so I'm, I'm getting much more particular about how and where I channel my energy. I don't know if that helps to kind of. Yeah. So let me ask you it. this. No, that's awesome, dude. Of course. I mean, everything changes when you have kids, right? Then you got to systemize your family life too, uh, which is awesome. So what do you do? And this, this will be my last question. I'm sure Bart has a ton of questions as well. What do you do to get into the flow state? Because because obviously mm. we all have the same amount of time, right? We all have 24 hours in a day, no matter what you do. You have, and we, Bart and I have tried and tried. We can't squeeze more than 24 hours out of a day. So knowing that we all have the same amount of hours, what it really comes down to is those hours where you have that magic flow state. You know, like you sit down. The world is quiet. You have that that coffee, like that first coffee of the morning. And just for a moment, everything is magical. That dopamine is released. All those neurons are firing right. And you are at 110%, right? So that period of time is like your magic hour. And everybody does something differently to get into that, into that state. What is it that you do to get yourself into the the David Jennings like maximum mm. effective systemology state, your flow state. I don't know if I'm one of the last people to read this book, but I just recently read Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I was doing a lot of things that I wasn't consciously aware of, but I remembered reading it, nodding my head going, you know, I'm doing a lot of this sort of stuff just by you know, and usually that reinforces that it's a good book for me because I sit there and I go, I intuitively know this. And now it's gone from, you know, unconscious to, or, or in my subconscious now to be brought up to my conscious awareness. And I'm going, you know what, which then is the first stage of giving you a chance to then start to engineer the process and make changes. So for me, uh, a big part of it is the, the space in which I do work. Like in the morning, Oops, I think we've 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 lost David there for a second, so we can wait for him to. That's what happened to me too already. This show, you're back, Dave. Ah, okay, oh. you're you're back. As you you were about to tell us the secrets to the universe of your your daily life. Oh, you didn't catch that? Oh, we missed the whole now. thing. I lost it. <laughs> um, tune, tune into our premium channel for that. That's correct. 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 <laughs> uh, it's it's forty nine dollars a month uh, recurring, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, uh, so for me, a lot of it has to do with the space. Like in the morning, I'll um, get the kids ready for school and make them breakfast, help out where I can there. But when I come out, I've got a studio at the back of my house. Uh, and it's when I come into this room and I bring my coffee in and I kind of sit down and I'm in this space for the day um, and I'll pop out for lunch and help out where I can and towards the end of the day with the kids. But when I'm in here, I think it's just a habit that I've built up that I know I'm in the zone when I sit down in this chair and it's time to get down to work. And I know the first chunk of the day I try and avoid doing the email and I've thought about what my priorities are and I just go to work on some of the biggest things first. Uh, so I think it's just a bit of a habit and routine that I've built up over the years. It's funny you mentioned James Clear book because we were just talking about it by the podcast. I, I created a personal development program called Life Design Prism, P-R-I-S-M. And 
when I read James's book, I had a very similar epiphany. I was like, holy cow, what I did was systematize a bunch of habits. And we had them track making their bed, had them track if they listened to 20 minutes of Audible. They would track it every day, and all of a sudden they would have a statistical graph of these enhancements. And when I tracked this for a couple of years, I just, the conclusion from my personal life was, when I'm taking care of myself, when I'm meditating, when I'm exercising, when I'm eating right, I make more money. So I'm spending more time taking care of myself. And so I, we created a system around the habits. And when I read the Atomic Habits, I'm like, oh my God, this is all what we've been doing. This guy's brilliant because he's things like me, of course. <laughs> it's funny you say that because when I, you know, when I read it, I thought that's really what a system is. It's engineering the habit. It's the first step. You become aware of it. And then when you start to you know, make it obvious, make it easy, and the other things that he had mentioned, and when you create a system, that is the first time that you're saying, right, this is what the habit is going to look like. Then we teach it. New team members come on board. They follow a process. It's the first time they go through it. Then there'll become a point where they get it. And they'll say, this is what we do here. They might not need to have the checklist and everything that they follow every single time because they've internalized it. So it's, I see systems as a way of um, deploying habit change for your team and then getting them to follow the process until they reach that point, which is the ultimate goal to have everybody say, oh, that's just how we do things here. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think of documentation – I think that they, they think of document. I think we're getting double volume here. I think he might need to mute himself. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I have the ability to mute himself. Um, we'll just pause for a second. No, we're good. Let's go. Sorry about oh, that. Sorry about that. Yeah, you remember. So, so there's two things that I say is that a lot of people think systems are just for onboarding new employees, uh, they, they, and, and that is super important. In fact, I, I know a lot of small business owners that that can never scale over a million dollars a year because they've got a couple of employees, sons and daughters, they won't write anything down. And God forbid one of them quits, like the, all the knowledge is in the head. And so when I first started uh, doing systems, which was before your book, um, I ended up documenting like just, you know, since 2004, like pages and pages of customer service stuff because I've been running online businesses. And recently I hired a new customer service person who's been terrific. And literally I talked to her on the phone, I hired her, I said, here is all the videos and files and systems over the last five years. And she just trained herself. And she started the next like couple of days later. She's like, I got it. I know how to process a refund. I know how to do this. I know it was all there. But mm -hmm. man, making those was painful. And here's the question. When I was forcing my employees to build all those, uh, those, those systems, I couldn't get them to buy in. And here's why. Because one of my programmers knew that I couldn't do what he did. And he, and this was why before ClickFunnels and stuff, and he knew that if he put it all down, I could fire him because we're making people replaceable by documenting all they're doing. And, and, and it's true. People do die. People quit. They move on. As business owners, we know it's a reality. An employee, they don't want to write down the system, but they resist it. And I saw it in his eyes. He resisted it because he didn't want to get fired. How do you get people to buy into something that's so boring like writing a system? One, two, three, four, hit return. Best question. And it, it, this is, there's a whole range of these different um, things that bubble up for people when you say the word systems. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of tips on that. Firstly, when you introduce systems, uh, there's a couple of different ways to think about it. Everybody's a little bit different. And 
you want the team member to see the benefit for them personally. And that's really the way that you want to frame it. And everybody's a bit different. So it could be, oh, you know, when you take a holiday and you take a week off and I keep on calling you up to say, oh, where's this up to? Do you know where that is? Oh, can you follow up with that lead? Well, I want you to be able to take a break and just think about your holiday. And when you come back, not spend the next one month making up for the one week that you had off. So we're systemizing here so that team members can help you out and support you. So when you take time off, you can fully disconnect. You know, if if you get COVID, if family member gets COVID, if whatever happens or you're on holiday, you can just focus on just that. So that's one of the reasons you might systemize. Another reason might be, do you want to work up in our organization? The way that you become more valuable is actually to systemize and delegate some of your tasks down to more junior team members. That will create space for you to work on higher value tasks for me, which actually makes you more valuable. So if you want to work your way up, then you need to think about systemizing. Um, and there are a range of different ways that you can position this. And you just have to think about the individual and what is going to be attractive for them. But that one you mentioned, that black box that team members create around them for job security is quite common. Uh, and it's really cancerous for the company because ultimately what you want is you want the team to have a level of transparency and accountability and uh, you know, we're all in this together uh, and having people that are hoarding information or hoarding parts of the business for their own personal gain uh, is not ideal. So it's definitely something you want to think about that what as the, the biggest resistance you'll get when you introduce systems always happens up front. So it's going to be from those existing team members later on down the track when you're recruiting and onboarding and systems are part of the way that you do things. There is no resistance because people from day dot learn, oh, this is how we do things here. So all of the challenge when you introduce culture change happens up front. It's also one of the reasons why a lot of business owners don't follow through. They try this for six months and say, oh, I tried to do that. My team wouldn't follow the processes and then they abandon it and they go, oh yeah, we're, we just can't be a systemized business. We're too creative or, you know, our business, it just doesn't work. It's it's fine for Dave. It's fine for Bart and Sheehan. Like their, their businesses are different. My, my business can't be systemized. Very common. And it's because they haven't gone through that period before they reach that crossover point and we get new team members on board and we start to change the culture that you then realize this is night and day difference. If you get systems right, you can't compare a business that has systems to one that doesn't. They are worlds apart. So it's it's something that, yeah, you want to uh, persist with and go to work on because the rewards are worth it. Can you talk a little bit about, I, I know I heard one talk that you gave, I think, was it a TED talk or was it a talk at like a Google or one of those big organizations that I saw one of your talks and you were talking about extracting yourself from a business. And I know I talk about this often that if the business is reliant entirely upon you. And if you're gone, the business is dead. You don't have a business. So how, how do you feel about that? How does systemology help that? Like mm. the, the fact that if you can, like what kind of freedoms do you gain if you're able to walk away from your business for any period of time that you want to and it functions more efficiently than if you're there or as efficiently? 
Mm. There's definitely a range of benefits. And I don't think I've ever had a discussion with a business owner where we've come to the conclusion that business systems aren't valuable. We always, when you talk it through, like there's no denying it. Um, it, It's kind of like, how do we then make it happen? Like I think one great one that sticks in my head as to why I really became a systems devotee was in the digital agency. And I talked about this at the end of the book where I built this little money machine that I worked in for 10 years, systemized it, plugged in an operations lady. Um, She ran it for three years. And I thought, I'm never going to sell this. I'm a business owner. I get quarterly dividends from this business. I don't run the day-to-day operations. I meet with Melissa once a month and we talk strategy. This is a fantastic business. Why, you know, why am I going to screw with that? I've gone off, taken a year out, started working on my systemology, system hub stuff. And uh, then Melissa, she says, oh, look, Dave, I need to chat with you. I have to go back to the States. She's here in uh, Australia and she had some family in the US and said, I've got to fly back. This is um, a little bit before COVID. And she flew back to the US and uh, she said, I'm just going to take a week out. There's some stuff I have to attend to. When she comes back after a week, she says, hey, Dave, I'm going to have to resign. And I remember at the time it was like an absolute punch in the guts because I was so used to her just managing it and running it. And I thought, I'm going to get pulled back into this business and I'm systemology starting to take off like a rocket ship. And, you know, I've, I've kind of fallen out of love with the digital agency stuff. Like my passion wasn't there anymore. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? If I hadn't systemized it, I don't think I could have solved that business. Like it's businesses like that are a dime a dozen that are owner dependent or very specific key team member dependent. But because it was systemized, I I put it straight out to market. I got three offers on the business and got a very high multiple for sale for a service-based business on what could have just been a car crash. And, And it made me realize that you don't know what is going to happen to, you know, around the corner. You might get thrown a curveball. And business systems are like insurance. It's it's a get out of jail free card. You you put the effort and the work in up front. You pay, you know, the, the money to to get those that insurance into place. And then what it does is it it saves you and it gives you opportunity should something go wrong. It gives you time to act. It allows you to operate more efficient, efficiently. Now, that's just one of the benefits because when you think about it, I mean, s- systems are just the way that you do business. So there are infinite number, but that that always stuck in my head now where even if I'm not going to sell it, um, I think business systems are something that you have to prioritize. And just like insurance, usually most people don't think about insurance until it's too late. An accident happens, something blows up, and then they go, oh, shit, I I wish I got insurance out when they should have got it before the accident. And it's the same here. You need to put systems into place now because it will save you further down the track in ways that you might not even appreciate. Yeah, super wise words, guys, because that's another rookie mistake, that if you have a business and that business is reliant on one employee and that employee holds the key to how that job is done, you are fucked. By the way, we don't curse on the show. I'm just kidding. But uh, <clears throat> I think I do. Bart Bart only curses if I uh, taunt him enough. But I, I learned that lesson many and many a times. And I know you talk about SOPs a lot in your work. 
um, standard operating procedures that need to be written down, need to be documented. And it's so essential that, so, and and I'm gonna answer your question too, Bart, which I think is fascinating. Here's what you do for a culture change. You do what I did. So I had this fucking nerd of a guy who was managing like a few big accounts and and as much as we wanted to fire him, we just couldn't because he was like kind of, he had us by the balls with these relationships and whatever. And remember, okay, so six months before I was sleeping on the beach, right? I, everything I owned was in a backpack. I had nothing. So then I came into this office and I got a little bit of a bigger office and I bought a few chairs and a couple of desks and brought on a few employees and all of a sudden we're making money. And I've got account reps. And so I had this one like account rep and he comes in and he's complaining every day about stuff. And after about six months of this guy, I come in and he's like, well, you know, everyone else has, you know, water filters. I'm like, all right, fuck, just get a water cooler, right? So they order up a water cooler and then he comes in the next day. He's like, oh, this wasn't what I wanted. I wanted the pH balanced one, you know, that this water kills you. And so I'm like, fuck, just get the pH balanced one. We get the pH balanced one. I come in the next day and he's complaining about something else. And dude, people just saw me. They saw me break at that point. And, and I opened up the window and this was right off main street in Venice beach. And I picked up the fucking water cooler right in front of him. And I tossed it out the fucking window. And I just walked out and thank God. I mean, I looked down, there was nobody there, but I tossed the fucking water cooler out the window and he was just shocked. And you you would think he would kind of get it. And the next day I came back, he was complaining about something else, like not having a water cooler or whatever. I called up a moving company. I got rid of all the furniture. I donated it. And a lot of people quit. That dude quit. Thank God. It took getting rid of his desk and his table and all the shit. And then I noticed there were some people who were still working on the ground. They were like, we're just going to shut the F up and do our work. And, you know, and then we started building systems and, you know, eventually I ordered stuff back and I ordered chairs and things, but that was my web 2.0. This was before the internet, because I felt like you need to shake up an organization if they're not shaking themselves up. If they get too comfortable, that's death, especially when you are in an impact uh, organization. So in my time, that's what I, now this wouldn't work today. So I, I, uh, I can I, I'm going to give a couple of other sessions, uh, suggestions. There is a few other steps that you could try before that. Like I, I know, uh, let's, let's say that that's the last, uh, line of defense. Um, and it goes back to what Bart was asking earlier as well. What are some other ways? And one that stuck in my head and I didn't bring it up, but I'm, I'm glad we got the chance now is, Similar, if we think about James Clear's book again, we need to make it easy because your best team members are busy. So uh, one of the tips I talk about in the book is this idea of making systems creation a two-person job. And if you then have the knowledgeable worker who knows how to do the thing and you get a separate person to record them doing that, then they're the one who pulls out the key steps. That's step number one. We want to capture and extract and make it easy. Then once we kind of have something down, it's much easier to manage someone if there is a defined process. Because we can just keep pointing back to, hey, you didn't follow this process here. This is how we do things here. You do that two or three times. And then it's kind of like, hey, is there a bigger issue here? Like, this is how things are done we've clearly articulated it and educated you on it. Are you not wanting to do it? Are you not wanting to be here or something like that? And you can kind of step 
into it. Now I'm a horrible um, manager of people. I kind of learned that over time. I used to think I was pretty good until I got a really great operations manager. And then I realized how crap I actually was. Um, but get, arming the operations manager with those tools to skillfully navigate through it is a great way to do it. Otherwise, if it's just you and you don't have uh, an operations person, then I think follow Sheehan's suggestion. I kind of feel like that's the way to do it. All right. So hold off on throwing the water cooler out the window. Last line, you... last line of defense. That's right. Last line of defense. All right. I love that. So um, I guess uh, I want to, I, I know uh, I, I'm looking at our Facebook and our Insta live and people have um, all kinds of questions. I want to direct them to your site and to get your book, because I think most of the questions I'm noticing now are uh, answerable in your book and in your site. Um, so two questions for you. Question one, if uh, there are any tools that you might recommend to people. And question number two, how do people engage with you? Can, can people hire you to come into their companies and do this for them? Or do you have an agency? How do people get your book? To share with us, please, yeah. how people can contact you. Best place to get started is to grab the book over at Amazon. And if you're listening to this, maybe you're an audio person. There is an audible version. And I even had Michael Gerber, uh, the godfather of business systems, read the forward. So it's a great audible if you haven't listened to that. Um, uh, he endorses the systemology approach. And it's kind of like the how-to guide of the e-myth when you think about it. So grab the book over at Amazon. That's a great starting point. Uh, and then the book I wrote to be useful and complete so you can take it. And for some people, running with what's in the book is enough. If you need some extra uh, help, you can head over to systemology.com. And we've got some different options, either online program. Uh, we've also built up a network of, we call them systemologists. So I've basically licensed out and trained and coached uh, exit planners, business coaches, accountants, um, on how to work with systemology and deploy it in their clients' businesses. And oftentimes, if someone needs extra hands-on help, where the systemologist does the documentation and gets it up and running, um, that's an option uh, as well. We just kind of connect um, the, the clients with the systemologists with regards to that. Um, but as, as long as, I mean, the biggest thing why I come on and talk about these sorts of things is um, to reignite that fire inside the business owner and get you to feel like um, systems and processes are important. And if you've tried it and it hasn't quite worked for you in the past, maybe you've got some misconceptions and false beliefs around it. I would love to challenge those and let you know that just because you might not see yourself as a systems-driven business owner, doesn't mean that you can't own a systems-driven business. Like you just got to start the process, build up the evidence, take the small actions, and it's, it's well, well worth it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, I guess they'll find the tools in your book. So guys, check out Systemology. He, he does mention a lot of books. Uh, make sure to go onto his website. What is your the best website or social handles so that people can yeah. can get in touch with you? So systemology.com. That's systemology.com has links to my Twitter, my Facebook. I have a YouTube channel where we share videos. I also have a podcast called uh, uh, Business Processes Simplified, 
where it's a bit different from this show. All, all I do is I interview people and I get them to share systems and processes that they use in their business. Because uh, what I've found, the more businesses we've worked with over the years, you would be surprised at how similar the guts and the mechanics of each business actually are. All businesses need leads. All businesses need to convert those leads. All businesses have HR and staff and they have to hire and recruit and onboard. All businesses have financial reporting and requirements is the main difference really is in the operations, the delivery of the core product or service. But a lot of those other things are very similar. So you can start to take some of these ideas and the systems and processes that you build today will actually form the basis of every business that you ever get involved in moving forward. Like these are an asset that you carry around with you to, to every business. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And Bart, if somebody might want to learn how to be more excellent and rich and happy, how, if only there were somebody who's written a book about that, who give, give us some, give us some uh, advice. I think you got to unmute, bud. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the two books that I recommend uh, that I wrote are called the magic question, how to get what you want in half the time, which is my best selling book on Amazon and audible. Um, and then uh, the Rich and Happy book is actually 20th anniversary of this, and it's sort of my Tony Robbins tome, and it runs everything from NLP belief systems. Um, you can buy it on Amazon, but you also give you a free copy at getbartsbook.com. Get on our email list. Keep in touch with me. You know, I've got a new podcast coming out uh, as well, and hopefully uh, both of you guys will be one of my first guests as we get that all together. It's called The World's Most Interesting People. And uh, both of you qualify. So, yeah, follow me, Bart Baggett. That's my handle. And uh, hopefully we'll be back more. Shaheen and I have had a, a, about a month break because we've both been traveling so much. I went and did some stand-up in, in L.A., but hopefully we'll be back. And thanks, you guys, for following us. Hit the like button. Hit the share button. And tell your friends about it. We interview people like David and other brilliant entrepreneurs, you know, every few weeks. So uh, we'll be in your inbox if you hit the like and subscribe button. Yeah. Thanks for joining, guys. Anyone interested in learning more about Amazon and becoming an Amazon seller, creating recurring streams of revenue, reach out to me at fbasellercourse.com. We'll include it in the show notes. If you like this show and want to be featured on this show or other great shows like this one or our network of over 1,500 shows now, check us out on podcastcola.com where we book people on amazing podcasts all day long, transparent, flat rate fee, and your guaranteed placements on amazing shows every day. So we look forward to seeing you guys and make sure to like, comment, and let us know even if you hate us. Make sure to unlike and, and comment. We love to hear from you. We don't shy away from controversy on this show. Let us know what you think. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks, David. Thanks, Shane. Bye-bye. Okay, that was fun. If you liked what you saw, make sure to subscribe and like below. Make sure to leave us a comment and join the community.